morning. Thank you, Jenny, for a wonderful song. I know we're not all partial to country, but I am. That was a beautiful song, beautiful testimony of, uh, of that song. Hope everybody's well. To start off this morning, I'm going to tell you a little story. Now, those of you who've been around here for a few years have probably heard it before. Um, but this particular story takes place in the mid-1800s, um, back east somewhere, in a rural part of the, the world, where the town was very small and everybody had their own property surrounding it, going out sometimes for several miles. So the church was in town, so they had to, they had to travel quite a ways, a lot of them, to, to attend church um, when, when they had the meetings. And there was a young man named George, um, and he was saved, and he came to the church faithfully for several months. Uh, he'd show up at every meeting. And he had a long ways to come. And then he started to miss a meeting here and then miss a meeting there. Um, and then after a while, a couple more months passed by and, and, and the folks hardly ever saw him. So one night, and it was a rather cold night, the pastor got on his horse and traveled all the way out to his property. And as he approached it, he saw there was quite a a lot of smoke coming out of the chimney because back then that's the only way you could heat your homes was with firewood. And he got off the horse, he knocked on the door, and George opened the door, so surprised to see his pastor. And he welcomed him in, and they sat down next to the fire, and uh, the pastor took the... the, uh, the poker and stoked the fire and got it really going. And George thanked him for that. And George kept telling him how good he was and how everything was just perfect. And, you know, he'd been busy, you know, but he hadn't forgotten about church. And as he did that, as he was putting out his defense for lack of attendance, uh, the pastor didn't say a word. But he just kept stoking the fire. And finally, he just really hit it hard, and a chunk fell off the log down next to it. But it was very bright red. And as it it caught the attention of George as he's, you know, laying out his defense, and uh, the more he talked, the more the pastor would just listen, nod, and, and, and without looking at the ember, he'd, He'd push it away from the fire a little. At first it was bright red because it was right next to the heat of the fire. And then it was well, not quite so red. And then it was a little red left. And all of this George took in as he was pleading his defense to the point where finally the pastor just slid it away. And the smoke went away. 
And there it was, just cold, with no life left in it. And then George sighed, and he said, Pastor, I'll see you this Sunday in church. <laughs> and every Sunday after that. And then finally, as the pastor left, he just said, Good to see you, George. Got on his horse and went home. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the life we have as Christians. A life that's been redeemed, a life that's been set apart, a life that you have given to us that we're so undeserving. A life that has transformed us, has helped us. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that resides in us and is constantly helping us along this life. And we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to uh, share it and, and hopefully gain from it. And I pray, Lord, that those of us here today would be encouraged by it and be maybe challenged by it and, and, and maybe comforted by it. And possibly um, it could be a knock on the door for somebody. And so we thank you and we praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Our text this morning is rather familiar if you've been going to this church for any length of time because we seem to have a lot of Revelation uh, studies. And so we've spent uh, a good deal of time in the book of Revelation Many of you, I think of Rick, who's not here today, was saved through uh, one of those Revelation seminars by Sylvia years and years ago. So it's a familiar passage, I'm sure, to many, if not all. It is in Revelation, the second chapter, starting in verse 1. The book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. The second chapter, the first verse. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the golden lampstands. Say this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put those to the test, those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary, but this I have against you, that you have lost your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. 
and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have. That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture. They lost their first love. That's amazing. In the Bible, my favorite book is Philippians. And in a dead heat for second is Colossians and Ephesians. Those books have built me up so much. I've applied so much. I've been helped so much. I've been corrected by so much from those books. And to hear this about the church at Ephesus, that Paul so worked so hard to build up, left in the faithful hands of Timothy, and then to see this said by the Lord uh, brings goosebumps to me, and not good goosebumps. But first love, this is a love that we receive from God. In the Greek, it's called agape. It's different. It only comes from God. We have brotherly love, filio. Everybody can have that. And eros uh, for a man and a woman who come together. But agape love, unless you're born again, You do not possess it. But if you are born again, you received it the moment you got saved. Because the moment we get saved, the Spirit of God comes and indwells in us. And the Spirit brings love into our lives. In fact, He he brings... um, Several things through the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 22-23, it tells of this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These, you can say, well, I'm, I'm pretty much in control. No, not like the abilities God gives us when we become saved. And the first one is love, isn't it? I can guarantee I was not a loving person before I was saved. I just wasn't. But all of a sudden, that transformation takes place. Character, a little later, but all of a sudden, I couldn't get away around to my work and to my customers telling them after I got saved. Now, 99% of them probably thought I was a loony bin. But I, for the first time in my life, had something I wanted to share with them. And I cared about them. 
That's God. That's how God works in our lives. And that's the first love. It is our first love, isn't it, when we come to know the Lord? But it's also that love that's in us. But it can be quenched. And it is impossible to have again if you're not saved. One of the most clear definitions in the entire Bible of agape love is found in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. I remember the first time I read this, it was like, wow, this is a lot. But each and every Christian, each and every born again Christian now has the ability for this in their lives. It's directly connected to how we let Jesus Christ run our life, grow our life, lead our life. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, It profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag. And is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. But it does seek its own. It does not seek its own. Excuse me is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice with unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That portion is one of my wow portions. Wow, look at that. It is so encouraging. It is also a reminder sometimes to make sure. It can also be a reminder when we sin, when we act unbecomingly. Will that happen? It happens. We sin, but we confess our sins. But it is also an alarm in us. What was that? What did I just do? Who did I just offend? What did I? It's there now to correct us, to make us go back and say, Mike, I'm so sorry I offended you. Please forgive me. Totally polar opposite to... When's the last time you were in a store or something and something went wrong and they go, sorry about that. They have no concept 
at all of what they just said. It's just something you say. There's no sincerity there for the most part, if at all. But when we say, sorry, all sorry does is acknowledge there's a wrong. But when we say, please forgive me, that undoes it. That undoes the wrong. Before we were Christians, we were incapable of this kind of love, as I've said. And one of the, one of the examples besides myself I like to give is Paul, who was then Saul, who was not a nice guy who was a zealot, but had no relationship with God. And it was his duty and his delight to take the lives of Christians and imprison the rest. That was the way he was. But then he got saved, didn't he? He got knocked off his high horse. He was put into God's hands and look at what this man did. Look at the books he wrote in the Bible. I tell you, when I die, I can't wait to sit and hug this guy. I can't wait to sit and listen to him. Because he's so marvelous. And that love he embraced, that first love. So what happened to the Ephesian church? Was the church abandoned? No. Did it stop functioning? No. Did they start preaching heresy? No. So how did it happen? Remember the words of the Lord in Revelation 2.4. But this I have against you, that you have left your first love. How paralyzing is that? How does this start to happen? Remember the pastor's visit to George and that ember. It doesn't happen like that, does it? No, it happens gradual. The change, the change in us. That's why we come here. That's why we gather together. We encourage each other, don't we? We help each other, don't we? We get built up in the word and through prayer. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 point to this, explain this wonderful thing about our life as Christians. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds Not forsaking our fellowship, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. There are lessons we can learn from this. So that we can avoid what happened to the Ephesians. They didn't lose their salvation. What happened was sin. And sin comes in many forms and in many ways at us. And the devil's always out there to be, it, be, be right there for us, to help us with opportunities. 
But unconfessed sin in the life of a Christian is a killer, is a destroyer. And if we don't get to it right away, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And eventually, we just get indifferent and we get cold towards the things of God. Christians should never let grieving God, because when we sin, we grieve God, don't we? We grieve the Spirit of God. We should be able to sense that when we do that. You get lonely. You need to get right. But if you don't, it just gets worse and worse. The old ways come back. The old habits can come back. Then we lose power to overcome. There's no more victories in our life. There's no desire to read the word. It's more fun to do other things, get involved in other things, get involved in other activities. Let those fill our lives. Many of them good things, not bad, but they become the replacement for what we need in our life. The prayer, the communication, the talking to our Lord and Savior daily. The word. David says, thy word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee, Lord. That's what this does. We can't live without it. We can't live without the fellowship. We either go forward as Christians or we regress. And this is what happened to the church at Ephesus. We lose the love for lost souls. We lose the concern. We lose the praying for even our family members, our friends, other people that we regularly pray for just sort of fades away. All of a sudden isn't there anymore. There is a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary that John Wolvard, who wrote a book on Revelation. And I love what he had to say about the church at Ephesus. I think he got it right. The church at Ephesus was now in its second generation of Christians. Those who had come into the church in the 30 years since Paul had ministered in their midst. They continued to labor faithfully as those who had preceded them, the love of God which characterized the first generation was missing. The cooling of heart which had overtaken them in relationship to God was a dangerous forerunner of the spiritual apathy which was to erase all Christian testimony in this important center of Christian influence at that time. In the history of the church, 
There is first the cooling of spiritual love. Then the love of God is replaced with the love of things in the world. Which results in compromise and spiritual corruption. This is followed by the departure from the faith and the loss of effective spiritual testimony. I think it's well done. It's well said. The solution isn't to lose our first love. Don't go there. Stay with him. Walk with him. Engage him. Make him a part of your daily life, your daily walk. Stay there. Correct things when the Spirit of God says, wrong. Get it done. Confess our sins. Repent. You know, Adel on, on, on Wednesday mentioned the word revival. There's revivals in churches. There's been revivals in countries. Um, but there's also revivals that can take place in individuals. And it's a wonderful thing. I know because long ago I, I held on to a sin um, and uh, didn't realize not forgiving how it was crippling me. But once confronted with it, once confessing it, and feeling the revival and life come back in me, that you lose. You don't even know you lose. I mean, I was in the church. I was an elder then. How can this happen? It can happen. And so I've guarded from that ever since. I want no part of that to ever happen to me again. I love Jesus Christ. I love the life he's given me. I love coming here. I love you guys. I pray for you every day. We need prayer, don't we? I need prayer every day. There is no getting around that. I need to feed on that every day. I need to be strengthened because I'm no match for the devil. Nobody is except God. Nothing in our lives should ever be more important than Jesus Christ. There should be no close second, but it can happen. It can happen if we get involved in too many activities, too many interests, too many things, and letting those fill and replace, as John Wolvard said, the life we have, the vitality we have that God gives us. We will fall asleep spiritually. There's a reason why we have meetings on Mondays and Wednesdays, Thursdays for the women, and a lunch in the afternoon for the men who can make it, and then Friday, the groups, to encourage one another, to be with one another, to be built up in the Word of God. The men, every Monday, meet in that room while there's a women's Bible study going on. And we do battle there. We do spiritual battle there because we need it, don't we? It has to be. We need to keep that first love alive and vibrant in our lives. 
And only he can do that. And it can only happen if we're willing. In ending, I'm going to read a portion of scripture of Paul. The last time he met with the elders at Ephesus. Um, he loved that. He loved that church dearly. He put a man he loved greatly in charge of it in Timothy. And so it's in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 28. And with this, we'll end. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things. To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you. Admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are thanks, who are sanctified. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. I pray that it will be a blessing to each and every one. And if we have anyone here this morning, Lord, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, please, I beg you, make this the first day of the rest of their life that's a wonderful life. The movie wasn't the wonderful life. We have the wonderful life. And we have the future. And we have the hope. And we have the light. So just bless everyone let everyone have a good day. We thank you now in your most precious name. Amen. Amen.